0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Fitney has a message titled, "Will the Next Generation know? Turn to Judges chapter 2 verses 6 through 14. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. You know, whenever I watch that video, I'm, I'm, I get the chills because I'm, I'm actually still shocked that almost 70% of the facility that we designed to build isn't built yet. You know, half the parking lot, um, all these steel shade structures and classrooms and the main auditorium and things like that, and there's this huge um, building out front. That's really it's on the other side of the bridge. Um, it's it's actually really quite large and and a sweet building as well. And I'm always shocked when I look at it. Plus, I want to know. I, every time I watch it, I'm, I want to know whose kid that is that brings balloons, three balloons, too, to church with them I'm like that. Hey, did you see that? Like, how come that kid's holding balloons? What is that all about? And I've seen a kid with a balloon before, but not three balloons. There's just some crazy stuff in there that, you know, it's just the way I think. It's pretty cool um, when you see stuff like that. It excites me. And I want you to know, I want you to keep in mind that the future, uh, the future is important. And being ready for the future is important. The the reason why you would see, and you're going to, we're going to talk through this a little bit is we got to keep this in mind. There's really important things that um, we should not drift from, that we should not forget, that we need to keep in the front of our mind and, and continue to know. Lots of people don't know. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you're new here. You're you know, you you're a part of Vail Christian Church in these last five years. Well, that's only a piece of our history and our journey and what God has done in the lives of Vail Christian Church, which is uh, people. The household of faith, the family of families. I mean, there's a journey that is significant that's in front of five years ago. I mean, you know, you see the 15s around the auditorium and a lot of our past and things. And that's a, that's a big deal. And I don't want to forget our past. We don't want to get stuck in the past. But the past is the reason why we're here, okay, and there's a lot of sweat equity in this facility and, and these things. And as we begin to approach the summer, there's some things that I think are important to say and be reminded of. I don't know if you know it, but I do, okay, because it happens every single year. And I think this year it's going to be like times two. Here's what I think is going to happen. In a, in a week or so, our, you know, our kids are graduating from high school and other things, right? And they're moving to the next place. In fact, next week, we call it Promotion Sunday. We're going to honor our seniors, right? Everybody in a, whatever grade you are, you move up, right? I got to figure out what grade I'm moving up to because I'm not quite sure yet. I'm right there. I don't quite qualify for the senior discount, but sometimes people still ask me. So so um, and are you are you some of you are there too? It's like, no, I don't qualify for the discount. Okay. I don't want to get too sidetracked here. What do I know? I think you kind of know. So 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 you know, our summer around here is short. There are some things that are unique to every church, but this is what's unique to us. Our school district, we all know, we have an amazing school district. In fact, some of these things have been happening, this craziness going on here recently, it just makes me want to go, okay. Are you with me on that? Come on, man. We got the best superintendent in school, you know, be careful. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Don't half-heartedly do that if you're going to do it. Come on. But there's some things that don't even deserve applause because we shouldn't be applauding because we're just, this is a good place. Anyway, oh, you guys got me going. What's going to happen this summer? Well, there, we, we've been like stifled for a while and, and pent up, right? You know what's going to happen? Because we have such a short summer and it's pretty intense. It starts in just a week or so. And then it, it's over the third week of July. We all go back to school and everything, right? It's, that's really short. It's five weeks, six at the most. Depends on how old your kids are. Everybody's going to go on vacation. And everybody does most of the time too anyway. But this year, I feel like we should probably just cut half the t- chairs down in here. And in June, it's, it's going to happen. How many of you are going to go on vacation? Come on. Yes, I'm out of here. Okay. Okay. And some of you are just going to go, but for some reason you didn't want to raise your hand. And I get it. Everybody I talk to, that's it's going to be so, so good. I want you to go. I, I went, and I'm going to do a couple of things again. And, you know, I want to go somewhere where it's cool and some cool, you know, some things like that. And then uh, it's all going to, like, get intense in July. And, you know, every year the same thing, the exact same thing happens, right? We come back to school and our church attendance and everything that we do is surges starting the third week of July through August. Everybody comes back and goes, all right, let's go to church. All right? It's really kind of cool. So our highest attendance Sundays and all the cool stuff, it all emerges. You know, we get back in the routine and things. Well, well, all that's been out the window for a year, so I just think people are going to go, and as as it should be, go. Um, but there's some things that we got to be careful of. Now, I'm not going to say it just yet, all right, but I want to motivate you and encourage. Last week, we talked about our children, and uh, parenting, it was Mother's Day. It was, a great, uh, it was a great day, and we talked about our this responsibility that God gives us to invest in um, our children, not just to invest. He, 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 he charges us. He commissions us. It is his heart and his will. And, and, and the Lord trusts us with all these teenagers and all these uh, students and children. I mean, they're just boatloads of them. And what we decided when we master planned the facility is we're going to, they're our priority. And so we built classrooms to facilitate all of this. The first things, the most important things, are children and teenagers. We'll figure it out from from there on out. So, in light of that, I want you to turn to Judges chapter two. Judges chapter two. So, there's some pretty cool things that are um, happening here, and then there's some sad things. I want to draw the truth out of the text, just like always, and say, "All right, these lessons, uh, the lessons uh, that are here, how do they apply to us?" But the other thing I want to do is I want to make sure that you're encouraged. I, I. I want church to be enjoyable. I want it to be an experience where we come together where you you walk away motivated, you walk away encouraged, you walk away cared for and loved on and and you you can interact with everybody. When you come across a bridge, I want you to look forward to it. I want you to be blessed by what's happening here. But let's not forget that this is actually all about God. It's not about us. It's truly not about us. It's easy I mean, it's, it, it gets that way for us as a team and as a staff, you know. If you're a guest, you're really important to us. But you know what? You're not God. The worship, the style, the, the, all the methodology, all of that's a big deal. And, you know, whatever, if it doesn't float your boat or you'd rather have something else. But it's not about us. It's actually all about God and what He wants and what He deserves. Right? We're, we're, not, we're not the one worshipping. We're not being worshipped. Nobody is, and nothing is. And so buildings and facilities and bands and styles and everything else under the sun, we want to do a good job of that. We want it to be a good experience, but the experience is not God. Actually, God is God, and we're here to ascribe worth and value to Him, right? So we do want you to be encouraged. I do want you to learn. I do want you to know. I want you to walk away and, and be able to say, I learned something today, Something that applies to me. I want to I motivate. I think that's what my role is, All right. I don't know how encouraging this text is. Let's just read it. Judges chapter two. And I want you to start in verse six. So let's be careful and let's bring balance to things. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy because in the net Bible, the net translation, which is the best translation, um, it's titled, this section of verses, it's titled, The End of an Era Oh, it's kind of sad, actually. Think about this. It says, when Joshua dismissed the people, the Israelites went to their allotted portions of territory, intending to take possession of the land. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, and as long as the elderly men who outlived him remained alive. And these men had witnessed all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the Lord's servant, he died at the age of 110. How cool is that to live that long? Verse 9, the people buried him in his allotted land in Temnath, here's, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That entire generation passed away. A new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. Go down to verse 11. The Israelites did evil before the Lord by worshiping the Baals. They abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, the gods of the nations who lived around them, they worshiped them and made the Lord angry. They abandoned the Lord and worshiped Baal and the asherah The Lord was furious with Israel and handed them over to robbers who plundered them. That's bad, actually. Right? He turned them over to their enemies who lived around them. And they could no longer withstand their enemies' attacks. Whenever they went out to fight, the Lord did them harm just as he had warned and solemnly vowed he would do. They suffered greatly. Okay, so there's, there's lots of things right there. Right at the end, it just reminds me, when the Lord says he's going to do something, he does it. He vowed he was going to do some things, and then he did. He said, this is the way I want it. And if you don't do what I ask you to do, then this is what's going to happen. He always does. Here's the other thing. Remember that these are the people, the children of Israel, God's chosen people. So let's summarize it super quick. It's almost unfair to summarize it like this. I don't want to make it too simple. But God set aside a nation, Israel, a people. He chose these people for a purpose. Their purpose was to reflect or to showcase the essence of who he was, who he is, to all the other nations. So he said, I'm choosing you. I'm setting you aside. I have a mission for you. And here it is. You can sum it all up. I want you to showcase who I am to the, na- to, to the world, to all the other nations. That's your job. So here's how I want you to do it. And then he, he put together laws and commands and precepts and, and instructions. And he said, here's how I want you to do it. Okay? So he set them aside. Now, in, in the New Testament then, all right, we have Jesus now. And we basically reflect the Old Testament in this way. Now, the, the church emerges, Israel. The church is chosen People, God's chosen people, when when you come to faith in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, when you confess Jesus as Lord, when you swear allegiance to the King, you're a part of this church, and the church is to reflect and to showcase, right? To model the essence of who God is. We have a mission, purposes, and mandates. Okay, so it it the the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, reflect each other in that way. It's still all, absolutely all about God. In the Old Testament is all about God and all their worship and sacrifice uh, led to obedience. All the law led to obedience to draw you to God. And all of uh, uh, that's the way it works in church too. So we think it's about us, but it's, it's still not about us. It's actually all about God. Our worship, all these things that he asks us to do are to... Draw us to God. And so now we have Jesus, we don't have the law. He made a way to set us free. Okay, now in that brief summary, now let's go back here. Joshua dies when he's 110 years old. That's super cool. It's just a long time to live. Can you imagine what was life like 110 years ago? Pretty different. According to Judges chapter 2, verse eight. So he brought the people of Israel into the Promised Land, so Moses is a part of that journey where all that um, God's chosen people are in captivity and slavery. Right, and Moses is the uh, the man that provides the deliver or not provides, but um, leads them through the deliverance. God delivers them, and He uses Moses, and they wander and they do all these things in you know, order to get them ready to acquire this Promised Land, Can- the land of Canaan. Right, and then Moses doesn't go in, but then Joshua takes over and he leads them. Okay, so he leads them through all kinds of battles and victories. God goes before them; he helps them conquer. I mean, wherever they go, you know, God's in front of them, and they 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 um, they're victorious and amazing, unbelievable things happen. And um, Joshua. Models for them, a good example of faith in God. He's very faithful to the Lord. After his death, others of his generation, they live, along, they, they live on for a while, but then they too die. While they live, the people of Israel serve God faithfully because the memory of his greatness is preserved through these folks. Okay, now look at verse 7. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. And as long as the elderly men who lived, who outlived him remained alive, right? And these men had witnessed all the great things the Lord did or has done for Israel. Now, while the memory of God, uh, God's greatness and the work he did for Israel was alive, the people maintained their devotion to God part of the reason why now we, we we have the memorial to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. That's the reflection in the New Testament. So we go to the communion table, the Lord's Supper, to remember some things. We weren't there, but we're reminded of all kinds of things. All kinds of things are preserved in the Lord's table there in that supper. Now, Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says that after the death of Joshua and those who had seen God's mighty acts, this is what happens, right? Look at verse 10. The entire generation passed away. A new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done. And then as a result of this ignorance, look at verse 11, 12, and 13. The Israelites did evil before the Lord by worshiping the Baals, other gods, They abandoned the Lord of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, the the gods of nations who lived around them. They worshipped them and made the Lord angry. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and Asherah. Crazy stuff happens, right? And then verse 14 describes God's response to this idolatry. Look at verse 14. The Lord was furious with Israel. He handed them over to robbers who plundered them. He turned them over to their enemies who lived around them. They could not withstand their enemies' attacks. So the enemies, you know, uh, that they had uh, throughout Joshua's lifetime, I mean, they just, they walked all over that. Unbelievable things happened. It didn't matter what the odds were God went before them, and he, he made them victorious no matter what, right, when they were obedient. Unbelievable, right? But when they stopped being obedient, the Lord got furious, and then he just let them get what they would have normally got. So in summary, there's a sequence that goes like this, which I just call the summary sequence, <laughs> Okay. Number one, here's how it goes. The people revered and served the true God because Joshua and his generation kept the memory of God's mighty acts alive among the people. Okay? That's really important. Think that through. Then, number two, a new generation grew up that for some reason did not know God or his work for Israel. It doesn't exactly say what the reason is, but it's laid out in are smart people just like I am. We, we, we know what happened here. We'll get to that. Number three, this new generation abandoned and deserted the true worship of God and turned to other gods. And then number four, God was furious with them and he brought his wrath and judgment on him. That's the way it goes. That's the story right there. Okay? Now, if you just look at that story, it's it's not very encouraging a little bit, but it is reality for them, and I think it's reality for us. So what are the lessons that we can draw to the truth right away? The truth to draw of this text actually is simple, and if I just surveyed everybody and say, "Okay, what are the lessons? you could all say, "Okay, here's one," and you would you would be like right, because they're so needful. What are the lessons? Number one, when the knowledge of God is preserved in a community, because that's who they were, they're a community. When it's preserved in a community, a community like church, church is described as a household of faith, a family of families. Your small group could be a community, all those kinds of things, right? We live in Vail. It's a community, So, when knowledge of God is preserved in a community, especially by those who have personally experienced God's power, faith is nourished and obedience flourishes. I don't think you would do anything but nod your head at that. That's the truth right out of that story. Number two, if we allow our children to grow up without this knowledge of God, We not only feed their ignorance and unbelief, but we facilitate their destruction. Did you see what happened? And we already know this because God said, God does what he says he's going to do. And it leads to number three. Here's the red dot in the middle of the target of the whole thing. If it is our responsibility, it's our commission, it's our mission, it's our function and our charge, the household of faith and families, right, uh, by the way, to teach our young people about God and his saving work so that this next generation will know him and be saved. That's the truth extrapolated, drawn right out of the story. So since the first two of these lessons lead to the last one. I, I just want to focus on the last one. Because this is what I want to talk about for a few minutes, because in, in, in light of that, then that's where we should focus. That's the red dot in the middle of the target. It is God's will that we assume responsibility to teach our young people what God has revealed about himself. It's our responsibility. We have to, you can't slice it any other way. We have the first And foremost, responsibility to see that our youth think correctly about God. If our youth, if our teenagers, if our children do not think correctly about God, whose responsibility is it? Nobody likes to really hear that, but it is ours. It is ours. If we're a household of faith, if we're a family of families, not only does the the family unit have that responsibility, but also the household of faith, the church, the family of families. Otherwise, God wouldn't have designed it this way. I mean, it it all implies, not just implies, it all points to it is our responsibility. The most important learning environment that kids should ever attend is in our homes and in the household of faith. And the most influential theological teachers they should ever have are in our family, in families, in our homes, and in the household of faith. And the, the implications are staggering, actually, to me. No, okay, I, 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 I want to know more. I, I feel like I need to um, underpin that just a bit further. Let's look at the biblical testimony just a little bit further. I'm going to give some more biblical evidence, in other words, for this admonition. And that's what it is. The most important text from the Old Testament is Deuteronomy chapter 6. You should turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a bunch of things laid out there by God, and it's the most important commandment is contained in all of the Jewish scriptures right there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, if you put that together, it says, listen, Israel, listen, my chosen people, the chosen people. Listen. Or some of your versions might say, hear, O Israel. That just means listen, sit up, and pay attention. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind and your whole being and all your strength. So that's big. That's huge. That's the first underpinning. Jesus said that was the first and the great command commandment. And every Jew knew that, just like I want every one of you to know. And I want you to know what comes next in this great text. You know what comes next? Verse 6 and 7. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind. And you must teach them to your children. So Jesus said, this is the great command. Then what follows that? It's got to go from you to your kids. It's got to go from us to our teenagers and our children. All right, now, these same two priorities are also commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you just back up to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says, again, however, pay very careful attention lest you forget the things that you have seen And disregard them for the rest of your life. Instead, teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. So if you're here and you're like, hey, I'm all past that. I got kids. and You know, no, 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 no. Look, Grandparents are the most important people sometimes in our lives. I'm going to show you this book. This is awesome. I got kind of turned on uh, to this book by somebody. It's called Ashley's Book of Knots. It's really thick, by the way. And it is difficult reading, but there's tons of pictures and I like books with pictures, and they're all drawings, hand drawings. Ashley books, Book of Knots. Every practical knot, what it looks like, who uses it, where it comes from, and how to tie it. I love this book. Why do I love it? Do you know today in the 21st century, the average boy, let's call him 13, 14 years old, Before he graduates from high school, do you know how many knots he can tie? What is the average boy? How many knots can he tie? Three. Somebody said two. It is one. That's the average amount of knots a boy can tie. One. It's basically the knot that you can tie your shoes with. Thanks to Velcro, some kids can't even do that. Okay? Now, you might go, oh, whatever. Did your dad ever tell you one of those stories like my dad did? You know, when I was a kid going in, when I was in high school, I used to ride my horse to the bus stop. It was almost six miles. And then I rode the bus for an hour and a half to actually get to school. And it didn't matter if it snowed because there were no snow days. Your dad ever tell you a story like that? You know, and when my dad told me that story, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But we don't have horses to go like that. And then after school, I would ride the bus back and untie that horse and then ride home. And then I'd have to milk the cows and do, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or actually milk the cows in the morning and then you feed them later. Okay. So all that stuff happened in there amongst some other things. And I couldn't actually do all these sports things because I had responsibility. Okay. So now I remember going, okay, whatever, you know, kind of deal. Kind of, you ever do that? I, that's, that still goes on today. I don't know what you tell your kid, but my kid, all right, um, it, when you go back to the book, you know how many knots I can tie? Thank goodness when it comes to, uh, because of my grandfather, how many knots can, can Pastor Ben tie? I can tie about 12 to 15 knots, all different knots, my dad only taught me a few of those, but my dad could probably t- tie that many. He, he, he knew how to tie some knots. The reasons why they, he, they could tie knots is because you know of the farm and growing up in a different era and all that kind of stuff. How many knots can my kid tie? Well, if it wasn't for the Navy, my kid could only tie like three or four knots. He has to, tie, he has to be able to tie more knots because he's in the Navy, and they just make you tie more knots. But he he could tie quite a few knots. But here's the thing: how uh, uh, Lynn and I, after my son graduated from college, he's out of college and and he's in the navy. He um, he calls us uh, through FaceTime. He gets us both on the phone. He says, "Hey, I got something really important. I need to ask you guys. I feel kind of bad. You know, I know I'm, you're going to make fun of me, but here's the deal: where does the return address go?" On the letter, when you're addressing a letter. I know. Serious was what I said. <laughs> How does that happen? He's never had to write a letter to anybody, ever. Even after he's a college graduate. And he's never had to write a letter. It's not your kid isn't any different than my kid. I'm telling you, I never had to. I never taught him how to write a letter because how many letters you've been sending lately? You know, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't even send my mom a card for Mother's Day. Now, don't get upset. I sent her this other thing, and she opened it up an email, and it just went, went, happy Mother's Day, and all these cool things happened, and there was a song and everything, right? And pictures and all kinds of cool stuff. So it was cool. She's like, oh, that was so cool. All right, so listen, listen. Did your kid have a checkbook? No. If they do, they're not going to use it. We can't exchange money as a family unless you have Venmo. Okay, now look, times have changed and everything. But what happened? What has happened here? If you read this story, this is crazy. This is crazy. I don't even know where I am anymore. God's design for the preservation of historical revelation is the family's responsibility within the household of faith, the church, the community, the main link between what this generation knows and what the next generation will know uh, between us and children. It's, it's us. It's us. It's us or it isn't happening. Joel chapter one, verse three, he, he summarizes it in a great nugget. It's an awesome nugget. He says, tell your children about it. Have your children tell their children and their children the following generation. When you come over to the New Testament, There's not much talk about the household of faith, parents, and children, and lots of instructions. There's just not. But the Old Testament and the New Testament are linked together, and they mirror each other in in terms of God's heart. We still have the same mission, mandate, commands to showcase the essence of who God is, All those things. The importance of the instruction about God, it shines through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, when you focus on Jesus, right, he rebukes his disciples. It's one of the coolest things in the world. It's one of the... Just a few places where Jesus gets the most fired up, he gets angry, he gets indignant. Don't ever say that he doesn't. He does in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, when, when his guys try to send the children away from him. He gets really upset about that. Instead, he's, he receives them and he blesses them. In doing so, he commended the people for their concern. And 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 he says he says, you gotta be kidding me. Bring your children to me. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Bring your bring your young people to Jesus today. The way Jesus, the way to Jesus is through his word. It's through the scriptures, through his word. So we gotta take Jesus. We have to make Jesus known to our young people. Through his word. When the apostle Paul instructs people in the household of faith regarding children and parents. And the household of faith. When he gives instructions. So Paul writes 60% of the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't lay out tons of instructions regarding parenting. He summarizes basically the Old Testament principles and teaching. How does he do it? Ephesians six one through four, Colossians three verses twenty and twenty one. He summarizes. What does he do? He just simply reaffirms the Old Testament pattern and teaching. Children obey your parents. Fathers raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's what he says. So God wants the family to be preserved and he wants us to take responsibility for getting biblical and doctrinal knowledge into the heads and the hearts of our young people. And evidently, when Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says, a new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel, it was because the people neglected their God-ordained responsibility. And the result was that the new generation walked away from the Lord and brought God's furious judgment on itself. It's clear then that if we neglect our duty, or this duty, we facilitate, or you could say we serve not only the ignorance and unbelief of our children, but also their destruction. That is the truth drawn right out of the text. Now, think this through just a minute because I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not here to make you feel shame. I'm not here to make you feel judged. I know that it's out of the book of Judges. But I'm here to motivate and inspire you because I don't care where you're at. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. This does not have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. God not only does what he says he's going to do, he just doesn't leave you out there on your own. When he led these people into any battle, he says, let me do it. Just be obedient to me let me do it. And guess what I'll do? I will, I will, you know, that's all, that's all David did. Everybody else, you know, in front of Goliath was like, and David's like, what are you talking about? When you're obedient to the Lord, I'm going to walk out there and say, hey, you can't talk about God like this. He's my God. Give me some rocks. And he knocked down the most vulgar, profane fool right there. Because Why? David is described as a man after God's own heart. Veiled Christian church ought to be described by everyone and anyone in our community as people who are all about the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? It's about taking all of the experience that we have and the transformation and the change and the knowledge that we have about God and making sure that our kids get it, and know it, no matter what. That's what this is about. You cannot get anything else but that out of here. I mean, this is so much a part of who God is. It's, it's kind of crazy. This is so much of our responsibility. And here's the staggering thing to me. You know, that, that uh, we're taking just boatloads of kids to... Um, camp this summer. Tons of kids. Like, people are on waiting lists to get your kid to camp. and we, We're taking more kids to camp than we have ever taken to camp. So many that we don't have enough room that we're just scrambling around that camps are full. People want their kids going to camp just like us. Elizabeth has all these day camps for children throughout the summer at, at church, and they're, and they're just like full up to capacity where we're going. Well, we we can shove a few more in there, right? We got, we got kids on waiting lists for middle school, for a sleepaway camp, for children, for high schoolers. It's crazy how much of this is happening. And there's almost as more or many kids, there's more kids some Sundays over there in Sunday school and with a teenager thing and that whole thing than there are adults in this, in this room, so I just want to go back to just a couple of things. I started talking about this summer, and I showed you the fly-through video. Why would I do that? Not because I'm here to say, hey, we're about to raise money and all that kind of stuff. I mean, look, don't get all back on your heels about that. But when you put that thing up there, what does this have to do with me? And you put that picture up there, Okay. What we did was we started with what, where God's heart is. What should we build? What should we do? What should we facilitate around here? It ought to be about children and classrooms and teaching our kids. And teenagers and, and, and providing a place where we can come and speak into their life and pass on what we know. You know, there's a 10-year journey before we ever got here of a lot of sweat, blood, and tears of just emerging a church so that we could get here, so that we could do some things, so we could get up back across the bridge and explain Jesus. But, but, but it, you know, that's a big deal. But if our children don't know Jesus, if our children aren't saved, if we're not raising up the next generation, you know what's going to happen It scares me to death. Just look around our country and tell me, how many knots can boys uh, tie? It's just an example of everything else. I mean, who cares about knots? Unless something's about to fall off your truck because you're moving, right? Who cares about that? But, you know, it didn't used to be like that. Everybody used to know those things. Everybody used to know how to address a letter. Everybody had... Fairly decent penmanship, you know. Up until recently, up until Elizabeth Sachs, she's um, uh, the uh, um, our our children's director. Uh, Pastor Ben had the best handwriting of all of our staff. How come? Because I'm the oldest, and when I was in school, you had to learn how to use penmanship, and you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not just criticizing everything, but the, the, most of our staff is it's awful. Why is that? Well, penmanship doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because you don't handwrite hardly anything. You know, we like this. I am not the fastest at this. I can I can do this pretty good, but oh my gosh! I I I know things have changed, but what should not change is I. I have committed to memory not just a few Bible verses. I have tons of Bible verses committed to memory because of my grandparents and my parents. But that kind of thing just kind of slips away and goes away, doesn't it? I don't know. It's just not happening like it should. And I'm really concerned about that. Buildings do not produce that but they certainly um, contribute and help with it. And so, there's a building right here that I feel like we should build because we got so many kids and teenagers that are running out our ears, and they have to meet outside. I think we should build that one right there in front of the parking lot. Right there, it's actually huge. We need we actually we need another classroom for kids and teenagers, primarily teenagers, because they meet outside. And they're happy to do it. And I'm not too worried about it being too hot or too cold. You know, put a coat on and whatever. Stay in the shade. Drink some water. All right? But I think we should build that building. Now, here's the other implication, okay? In 2019 and 20, if you looked at our end-of-the-year financial statement, we ended the fiscal year... $17,500 $17,500 ahead of budget. I was so happy. You know, we were a few years in there where it was really hard. But what you don't see is that in the middle of the year, I choked the budget, I froze it, and we cut back all kinds of things to the tune of about $30,000, $40,000. But we ended that year up ahead of budget $17,500. What you don't see is that at May, right about this Sunday, we were forty-five to $50,000 ahead of budget. And you know what happened during the summer? Just like always, people went on vacation. And we took that $45,000 that we had, real money, and it just frittered away. Because people go on vacation, and what happens is, they go on vacation, and it's fun, and it's awesome. But they just kind of go, don't... it. Again, I'm not here to apply, to guilt you or to anything like that, shame anybody. We go on vacation and and nobody ever comes back and goes, hey, you know what? I didn't give for two weeks, so here you go. I don't know why, but nobody does that. It's super rare, right? Nobody does that. And what we do is we go on vacation, we spend a bunch of money, and I want you to go on vacation. I go on vacation. I need to go on vacation. I need to get out of here sometimes. I get wore out, and I want to go away, I want to go someplace where it's cooler and all that kind of stuff, all right? I want you to go, and you should go, but you, but you need to do automated giving so that we don't further this away. Now, if you look at year-to-date, our fiscal year, this is, gonna, this is exciting. I'm almost scared to tell you. We are, right now, $140,000 ahead of budget. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exciting. We have never been like that as a church. Never, it's never happened like that. hundred and forty thousand dollars. Now, if you're sitting out there going, "Oh boy, I don't, I don't got to worry anymore," oh. and some people think like that. But here's the thing: you know what's going to happen this summer? I'm not a prophet, but I do know things. Maybe you were at that message. I know stuff. You know what's going to happen this summer? Because our summer is so short and intense, people are going to go places. Because I'm sick of whatever has been going on, right? We haven't been able to go anywhere. I think June's going to be dismal in terms of church attendance. And you know what? I'm actually fine with that. I'm just going to preach it. I don't care who comes. Okay, and we're going to work hard, and we got oh, tons of things going. But I think church attendance is going to be, because because our summer's short and it's intense, and we're going to go on vacation. I would really like to take that 140 grand, and we we got two months left. I think there's more headroom there. I like to take that 40 grand and apply it to that building right there, and the future for our teenagers. I'd like to raise a little bit more money in the future. And I think we should hire another pastor. But if we fritter away during the summer because we go on vacation and we stop giving, and it happens every single summer, we don't have one summer where we don't fritter some of it away. And it worries me. I'm just being truthful. I, 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 don't, I don't know many things. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm not here to make anybody feel terrible or guilty or anything. I, that's, that's, not, that's not my heart. I think we should build a building and hire a pastor and, and, and get better so that this next generation of teenagers know God and are saved. I want to be able to go, Noah, If you need another bus, I don't care how much it costs, go get another bus so we can take more kids to camp so they can hear about Jesus and so they get to know who you are and all your leaders and they get to to talk about God and all this great miraculous things that have happened in your life. So if it costs 20 grand, go get it. If you need another van, if we got to hire people to drive vans, then go get it. Now, you know, we can only do what we can do, but I don't, you know, it's that kind of stuff. I don't want to have, you you know, I I scolded a whole bunch of middle schoolers. Hang on. I scolded a boatload of them, boys mostly, because I walked into the nursery and about eight boys, about 11 to 12 years old, you know those little carts that you push around with babies in them? They were all crammed in there in those carts inside the nursery. <laughs> and I went in there and I said, what are you doing? This is not what boys who are trying to become men do. And they, I scared them to death. They almost all peed their pants right there. <laughs> right? Look, they're going to do stuff. I've never been so happy in my life. They're, they're crammed in the nursery, right? You think you're going to keep all these boys off of the nursery furniture and chair, the things and swings and everything else they were trying to do in there? Of course not. I was just excited that there was like 20 boys shoved in the nursery just doing small groups. You know, and there was a couple of leaders in there that were just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this has happened. And you know, I scared them to death too. <laughs> right? You know what we need? we need? We need a big fat building over there to put a whole bunch of teenagers in. That's what we need to do. We need to hire some more staff. Have you, have you been looking around? You know, I used to look out this window right here and all you could see was a swirl. You know what you see over there? You see a guy putting tiles on the top of apartments, on top of the roof, I can see it right there. Right? And everybody in that parking lot, all the license plates says California, New Mexico, Minnesota, Michigan, California. And then there's a whole bunch of license plates that say California on it. People are moving in here, and there's building stuff everywhere. Have you been out to Rock and Kay? Do you know I met with the 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 Valencia Transportation uh, Task Force Commission because Valencia is going to be widened into six lanes. No, seriously, six lanes right in front of the church from 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 what is it? Colb? I just call it Amazon now. From Amazon down to (laughs) Amazon to Houghton, six lanes, six right in front of us. Do you think we should get ready? I do. I, I don't know. You guys, I, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> I want you to go on vacation. Go. But automate your giving. Let's not fritter away what we have. When you get back, I'm going to ask you to pony up some more because we need to take about 140 to 200,000 that we've saved, add a little bit to it, I talked to the architect. I talked to the to the contractor. I talked to Solomon Foundation. You know what they said? They said, yeah, you should do this. Solomon Foundation will probably say, here's how much we'll give you to loan you. And it'll probably be way more than we should borrow. So we'll have to be conservative. But I think we could start right there and we could build some more parking and some shade and all. Some kind of, I don't know. I think we should do it. And it just seems like, are we going to sit around here and just... Let this generation not know. Are we going to roll up our sleeves and get after it? That's all I got to say. Father, thank you for Vail Christian Church and how they just tolerate me sometimes, I'm certain. (laughs) But these stories are true and right and real and they reflect your heart and the truth screams at us here. So we want to do a good job and not let the next generation just float away into disobedience and drift. I'm scared to death they're going to do it, but not here, Lord, not here. Help us, to, help us to enjoy and to get away and to be refreshed this summer after graduation and get after it and roll up our sleeves. How about your mission and your mandate for us? There's so much that we need to be ready for to respond to in the future. We know that we're to hear, to reflect to showcase the essence of who you are and we want to do, want our children to do the same. We want to pass that on all of us. All of us, Lord. Thank you for trusting us trusting us, Lord, with so many young people. We want to be a good steward. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.dalechristian.com.